Welcome to this episode of ClearedCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates, and our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of ClearedCast. I'm Katie Keller, Editorial Communications Manager with ClearanceJobs.com. And for this episode, I'm really excited. I'm joined by my co-host, Greg Stewart, who is a contributor at the ClearanceJobs news site and editor at TheDestination.com. So I encourage everyone to go check that out. Our guest today is Tom Sarnicola, author of No Kings, No Kooks, where Sarnicola invites the reader into the world of security clearance investigations, both for the federal government and military. So the book is not only a reflection of his coming of age, but describes some of his more interesting security clearance cases that he investigated and the people he encountered along the way. I really appreciate you both joining me today, and I'm excited to dive into your background and what this book is all about. Thank you, Katie, for having me. Thank you, Greg. Yeah. Tom, yeah, appreciate appreciate you coming on to do this. It's uh, it's good to get to talk about this book. I thought it was a really fascinating book. I'm a quick reader. I read it in a day. It was one of those things that I couldn't put down, and probably coming from the fact that I, you know, getting my very first security clearance way back in 1999, had I don't know four or five periodic reinvestigations since then. It was an interesting look into the uh, kind of like behind the curtain of uh, clearance investigations and how how the process works, how different people experience the things that I've gone through. And it was just really fascinating. So I was just, I, I'm so I'm curious. I, I love that you wrote a lot about your family history, genealogy. That was really great. What was your motivation behind writing this book? And, and maybe if you can give us like a, a, like a brief explanation of the, the title, No Kings, No Kooks. I'd be happy to. I never really intended to write a book. I'm not a writer. I'm not a scholar. I'm just an investigator. And, um, when I was approaching retirement as a special agent, my family and friends encouraged me to write down some of the more interesting cases that I had been involved with. And I thought to myself, well, you, you can speak to any detective or policeman and they have just as much interesting cases. Who's going to read a book about that? So my daughter asked me one day, how did you get into this line of work? And that got me thinking about how did I get in this line of work? Because prior to this, I was a regional director and had a quite successful career as a regional director for a medical research company doing fundraising. And after 9-11, we lost major donors I found myself out of work because the donations just weren't coming in. So my brother, I have a twin brother who was a U.S. Marshal. He ran into an agent in Los Angeles and he had told my brother that they were hiring. He told me in turn, I applied and uh, I had 15 years as a special agent. The title, No King, No Kooks, comes from a phrase my father would use. I come from an Italian-American family. My grandparents came from Italy and immigrated to New York and I was born in the Bronx, lived there, and then we moved out to California. But he would call people who he didn't particularly care for or thought were strange or eccentric, mama lukes. It's an Italian slang word. The English equivalent would be kook. What I experienced in my 15 years as an investigator is those People who are kind of strange, aren't professional, aren't on time, don't have good work ethic, like my father would say, a kook, wouldn't last in this job, and they certainly didn't. And those who consider themselves sort of better than a street investigator, thought themselves as a king, wouldn't last either, because I found that the people who had the most difficulty in this job, believe it or not, were a retired policeman, because they didn't, as an investigator, you don't have the authority that the police have. So you had to be very, uh, you had to finesse your way into getting people to reveal to you information about the subject that you were investigating. So they seemed to fail as well. So that was the name of the, the book, No Kings, No Kooks, because if you're either one of those, you're not going to make it in this interesting world of security clearances. 
Yeah, that's that is really interesting. I I loved the title. It was a uh... It was intriguing to say the least, but I, I think you're dead on because I my, my wife's grandfather spent 30 years on the Salt Lake Police Department, ended up com- becoming the police chief of Salt Lake City for a while. And then when he retired, he went into a 20-year career of polygraphy. He was a polygrapher. I mean, he even went as far as, you know, getting some 15 minutes of fame on the Sally Jesse Raphael show, doing one of those uh, polygraphy tests for men and women. But he basically said the same thing. I mean, he summarized it the same way that... Um, you know, it's fairly easy to tell right off the bat whether or not it's going to work and some make it and some don't. So that's really interesting. Since you've had this experience and from reading the book, it seems like it's, it was a really interesting experience and a, and a cool journey. What kind of advice would you give somebody who wants to pursue a career in investigations? Well, I was sort of the odd person coming into the federal government because I had no prior experience, like I mentioned. And the colleagues I worked with, many of them had been there 20, 25, 30 years. So I saw it sort of differently because I had a different career before that. And even before my fundraising career, I was a teacher. I had no idea that every agency in the federal government has an investigative branch to it. So there's hundreds and hundreds of agencies with hundreds of jobs for those agencies. I happened to find out because this agent that my brother had met, but uh, there's, of course, usajobs.gov. I would say if you really want to serve your country, this is a great way to do that. Um, A lot of our agents use this job as a stepping stone to go into uh, other kinds of law enforcement uh, careers. So it really depends. For me, I was, and I talk about this in the book, I was mid midlife. I was in my 40s when I started this career. So it worked out well for me. If I was in my 20s and I had known about this, or known about other federal jobs, I probably would apply for a different one, only because where I worked, I was stationed at Travis Air Force Base in Fairfield, California, and I was in a field office. There weren't many opportunities for career advancement. So I think if you were a younger person and you wanted to move up, different agencies have more of that. Just mine didn't, I think, because we were far removed from the headquarters of Washington, D.C. I would talk to people who they may know in the federal government. If you get interviewed by an agent for clearance, ask them uh, what the job is like and if there are opportunities. I've referred many people who were retiring from the military. I was doing their last reinvestigation and were intrigued about the job. So I would refer them to uh, my, my supervisor or usajobs.gov. Nice. Nice. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, I like it. Shifting gears just a little bit to the person being investigated. Like I said myself, I've had experience with periodic reinvestigations. I'm, I think I told you earlier when we were talking on the phone that I've been put through the ringer by some investigators. Some have been really patient and calm and others have been very aggressive. So it's always good to have a little bit of of an idea of what you're walking into. So what I want to talk about now is with all of the advances in technology today, we're seeing the uses of smartphone. Pretty much everybody has a smartphone. Pretty much everybody is on social media of some sort. People are using the internet every day in their lives and they're using it for everything from their refrigerators, their cars, their tablets, their TVs, their phones, like the internet is everywhere. And it's sort of caused a problem for a lot of government clearance holders just because you open up your life to the Internet, which is a public entity, and we don't know who's on the other end all the time. And I don't know if you've had a lot of experience with these in the investigations that you have. What would you give? Like, what are some pointers that you would give to individuals who are looking to get a government job that might be using these tools on a daily basis? And what what would you see as some of the major red flags today and things that maybe people should avoid if they're looking into getting into government work that maybe not might be so obvious, such as, you know, pornography use or private picture sharing and stuff like that. What, what are some things that you think could be, should be avoided and can be avoided uh, in order to, to be cleared for a government job? Well, I write in the book that I think it was President Eisenhower who said that it's a privilege to work for the federal government. It's not a right. So not everyone will gain access to jobs in the federal government based upon their background or their lifestyle. We don't search what people are downloading. We don't go that far. 
but we do search Facebook and the general social media platforms. I would say as just a general rule, if there's things in there that might be of embarrassment to you, don't put them up initially. I know people are very casual about that today. That will be looked at by an, an agent. And then we talked to so many people in the investigation that even if you did take it down right before you had an interview, and if it's something that's well known among your friends or family, in drunkenness, um, any problems with finances, we probably will find that out just through talking to people. And then we do, of course, a lot of um, electronic data checks that will also reveal financial bankruptcies and so forth. So if you really are planning to go in this route, you, as you mentioned, Greg, that your privacy does become open and vulnerable to us looking at that and you have to be willing to do that. Yeah, definitely. And I think we're using it. I mean, we're using it and sometimes, you know, whether you're in college or high school now, or even in grade school, kids having smartphones, like you don't necessarily think about the future 10 years down the road when you, when you're going to apply for a government job, you, you know, for me, you couldn't have, you couldn't have convinced me that I was going to be getting a government clearance, you know, 10 years before I got one. But, you know, growing up in the eighties, you know, late eighties and into the nineties, I didn't have those tools at my disposal. So I didn't make, I mean, I made my fair share of dumb decisions and and did dumb things. But, you know, fortunately, it just wasn't broadcast to the world over the internet on YouTube or Instagram or whatever platform you're using. So those things happen, though, you know, we do dumb things when we're kids. Are those things like if those things come to light in an investigation, are those 100% deal breakers for individuals applying for clearances? Or is there some flexibility in, 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 in figuring out what happened and, and just being forthcoming about it? That's a very good question. Uh, not necessarily. I'll, I'll sort of generalize it. That's one of the things we look at as investigators. We don't do the actual decision-making of if that person should get cleared. We do the fact-finding and the gathering of that information. It gets sent on to an adjudicator who makes that decision. And then even if a person is denied a clearance, they have a right to appeal that as well. So there's different stages that people can go through to try and get that clearance if they feel that it was unjustly uh, denied. We look at patterns. So if someone had a, um, a DUI 20 years ago versus yesterday, that would be a factor. If there's a pattern of alcoholism or bankruptcies, things like that, divorces, not that divorces is automatic disqualifier, but there's multiple divorces. We start asking questions, why? What were the reasons right. why that happened? You're not going to burn the ears of any investigator. We've heard it all. I think people are reticent sometimes of being honest about things they did in the past that just happened. That's, that's life. So I would say be forthright with the agent, unless yeah. it's a very serious nature or a criminal nature. I think pretty much they understand that these things happen. And we, that's what we do in our report writing. We have to explain to the persons who are looking at this report, the circumstances that led up to the particular uh, incident. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I've had colleagues, friends in the past that I've been with in the military or worked with in a, from a contractor perspective that have told me the same thing. You know, there have been some that just flat out lied and it turned out that it was discovered and that didn't bode well for them and others that just were totally brutally honest and it ended up being okay. You know, I think I, I can't speak for adjudicators or investigators, but the feeling I get is that with the government just wants you to be open about about what's going on and what happens so they can make a clear and, and educated decision on who to grant access to sensitive documents, as we've seen in the past recently that the Edward Snowdens and other contractors that have been just divulging government documents that should not be out there in the public. We, we've had to tighten the screws a little bit, I think. And I, and I think a lot of us have hurt from that just from the perspective of having to wait extra long for reinvestigations to be adjudicated and, and whatnot. So it's important that you just are, are honest and upfront and I appreciate hearing that from an investigator as well. So, If I could add, Greg, this is just a snapshot when someone goes through an investigation. It's a snapshot of that person now because people always ask me, well, how come these breaches occur once people get into the military or the government? Well, they've got beyond us. And I always say, not to demean the job, but we'll get the obvious ones. But if a person's really intent 
on doing harm to federal government, military, they'll get through us if there's no real red flags that were, are obvious. But once they get into that position, they have access to databases and sensitive information. Maybe they go through a financial difficulty and then they put themselves in a situation which they do sell personal information or sensitive information. I'm sure you're familiar with the Robert Hansen case of the FBI. He'd gotten multiple yes. security clearances. Yep. Jonathan Pollard, who just was released from his life sentence with the Navy, he had gone through multiple investigations as well. So if something happened in their life along the way that sort of made them flip to wanting to reveal sensitive information. So it's incumbent upon the employees to report that. If there's suspicious activity among your colleagues, you have to report that so it can be looked at. Because once they get through us, we don't know what will happen from that point on. Yeah, that is, that's a very good point. It is a snapshot. Unfortunately, things happen. The one last question I had, just tend to wrap this up. This has been great. So I, I had a, a colleague in the past who was denied a clearance, went through the same process I went through. We were in boot camp together. We ended up both having intelligence community jobs, went through his clearance investigation, was given a cleared job, and he was good to go on his periodic reinvestigation. They denied him his clearance. They actually rescinded it, and he was unable to do the job that he trained for for all those years. So his question to me was like, what do I do now? Is it even worth trying to reapply for a security clearance again? If you get denied from a security clearance, either initially or in a periodic reinvestigation, is there any hope for trying to apply for a government job again in the future? Or is that just basically a black ball situation where you can't get back in? No, not necessarily. Once you receive your letter of denial, there is an option of appealing that decision. It goes in front of a hearing board, and I believe an administrative judge. I think if you could argue your case a second time to that judge or board, you, we've seen appeals reversed. No, I would say don't give up. If you really feel strongly that something was maybe mischaracterized in your background, or you weren't fully aware of what the investigator was reporting, Go ahead and try. You have nothing to lose in doing that. Of course, you won't have that job. It'll be waiting until that gets resolved. So it sort of messes you up in your career. But I would say no. I would make every attempt to try and uh, get overturned. Okay. Good to know. I think there may be a lot of people out there in that situation. And, um, you know, the government needs good people. There's a lot of jobs. You know, 9-11, like you talk about in your book, it really changed the landscape of government contracting created so much work. So if you are thinking about getting a job within the government, that's and the, the clearance process is a little bit of a daunting thing to you, don't let it be. Just, you know, be honest, truthful, forthcoming in your in your documentation and apply for the job and, and then just go through the process. Mine initially took two years just because I have family scattered all over the world. Since then I haven't had any issues with any reinvestigations. It's been a very a very rewarding process. And I'm sure uh, from what I read in Thomas's book, it seems like it was very rewarding for him too. So Tom, if you could tell us where, where can we find this book? Where can we get it? Do you have any plans to write any more books? It's funny you ask. People are asking me to write more about my family history. I'm going back to Italy next year and uh, going to meet with my, I guess it would be my great cousins from my grandfather's side. So they told me to add that into the end of the book. So we'll see where it goes. It's a big project and a lot of work to do, but uh, I'm thinking about it. I'll put it that way. I'm considering it. As far as the, the book itself, the way it's written now, that's on Amazon.com and uh, it's on Kindle. There's paperback and hardback and also I think Barnes & Noble. So you can find that there. Awesome. awesome. Well, yeah, a lot of interesting information and I really appreciate being a fly on the wall for this conversation. What I took from it, if you see something, say something, uh, act as if, and I'm stealing this from our senior editor at clearancejobs.com, act as if your grandma is watching you on social media. I think that's important. <laughs> but I'm really excited to grab my copy of No Kings, No Kooks. 
both of you. I really appreciate you joining us for this episode of Cleared Cast. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cleared Cast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.